What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview for UFC Vegas 66, the final UFC fight card of 2022. Pete, happy Friday afternoon, bro. How, how are we doing here on TJF? Yeah, we're, we're doing all right. Um, I'm kind of sad that it's the final card of the year. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And, and hopefully the UFC continues to put out solid cards and great fights. And uh, I don't know. I don't like any hiatus from, from mixed martial arts. You know this. And <laughs> I, I feel like you're the same way. So uh, I guess we're going to have to just, you know, really pay attention to this card. You know, go a little heavier on this card because it's the final one of the year. And let's uh, ho- hopefully we can cash. Yeah, you know, you, you think about it. I think we're we're so used to just this like every Friday, every Saturday night that we've got a, a Bellator, UFC, or PFL. The fact of, you know, our, our next UFC event is not going to be till January fourteenth. Yeah, that's that's a little too long in my book. That's a little too long. So it is what it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully some some other cards. You know, you, you talked about the the Bellator Rising card off off air. That's something, something to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, get us through, I guess. But, uh, you know, it it, kinda, it makes sense though from a promotional aspect. You, you don't want to have fights around the holidays. It's just not a good recipe for success. No, it's 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 not a good recipe for, especially uh, on the uh, on the the regional side. You oh, talk yeah. to any regional promoter, they'll, they'll let you know. Like you 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 don't do events during Thanksgiving. And you don't do like I, I've had regional promoters say go. I refuse to do events in the entire month of December. Yeah, I mean it's just up here in New England, right? Like I had to help my dad when he was putting together shows and trying to navigate through the winter in general, like avoiding snowstorms. Never mind holidays. So it's kind of just like the winter in New England's a nightmare. Um, but yeah, that you know, just like anything, you know which days and and times of the year are great for putting on events and around the holidays is just not it of course uh, we're here to break down ufc vegas 66 for you the weigh-ins just completed uh just a couple of minutes ago the only fighter to not make weight today was machete we'll talk about that fight a little bit later on the show then of course earlier today we learned that the duran win julian marquez fight is off of this fight card duran win putting it uh, on his uh i want to say it was either twitter or instagram a concussion reason so he's off that fight car so you lose that matchup and uh you know i mean look that was a fight that from a dfs perspective pete i, I didn't think i was going to be uh very high on um I, I think probably the more interesting part of that with was probably on the julian marquez side with everything yeah. uh that is going on with that one but uh you know look i you know before we kind of start breaking down you know fight by fight here you know when i first looked at the general fight card my thought was like hey i think this is a pretty nice fight night card to end the year off with it was surprising to me, to, for me, to see that Manel Cop was his second fight of this fight card. I was kind of surprised with that fight card lineup, and you know, then look when when I started to look at the the DFS salaries in terms of this one, you know, there were some fighters that I looked at that are you know say below eighty two hundred and below. That said, you know what especially from a takedown upside. There are some fighters on this card, like Saeed Yoku, to me, is one of those fighters on this card 
You know, he's 8000 over on DraftKings, and he's $15 over on FanDuel. If he goes to take down route, like, he's, to me, the perfect guy that when I'm over in Fancy Cruncher developing groups and, and developing a takedown city group, that is something that I'm going to do. He's going to be one of those fighters I'm going to put in because if he goes that route, which would be the route to, to go in that matchup, the ceiling could be super high for him. Yeah, I mean, so we always like to target – you know, fighters with takedown upside, never mind underdogs with takedown upside. It just gives you a solid floor. And Saeed Yokob in this matchup against Saeed Nurmagomedov, he needs to close the gap and press uh, Nurmagomedov backwards. Uh, so immediately he needs to get in his face because at range, I think that Nurmagomedov is too dynamic of a striker and too creative. So that creativity can can lead to a knockout shot. Um, so it, it's definitely possible for Nurmagomedov, but as far as being the better minute winner and the better fighter throughout the 15-minute contest if it goes there. I just like the pressure of Saeed Yokob and, uh, you know, how he needs to make it ugly because on the outside, in a pretty fight, I think Nurmagomedov picks him apart. In an ugly dogfight type of thing where you're testing the cardio, you're changing levels, you're making your opponent think in all aspects of mixed martial arts, that's where you can steal a victory over, uh, say, Nurmagomedov, who has shown some glimpses of, uh, you know, having a suspect gas tank so i'm with you there i like targeting underdogs with a takedown floor even in a loss right like it, it can come out and, and, and work for you um it's one of the most compelling fights on the entire card i'm really focusing my attention on two fights from a constructive mm-hmm. standpoint and it's going to be the armin sarukian demir Izmakulov fight mm-hmm. and the sayyid Nurmagomedov and sayyid yokob kakramanov fight um obviously the Kakramanov and Nurmagomedov fight is a closely lined contest. You can make an argument for either one. As far as the Sarukian and Ismagulov, I think like the public perception is just like, you know, Sarukian's the next, you know, one of the mm-hmm. best guys within a division and might be the guy to to contend for the belt eventually. Um, so I, I'm pretty big on Sarukian this week. And, of course, if you got any questions on the fights, leave those in chat. We will get to all your questions throughout this show. Of course, uh, if you're you know just checking us out for the first time here on Fight HQ, this is myself and Pete's YouTube channel. If you can uh, subscribe to the channel, we really would appreciate that. Uh, we've got a ton of support already. And, of course, uh, we, we're very grateful for everything that you guys do for us. And, of course, you smash that like button. We do appreciate that. Of course, we're here on Fridays. Uh, you know, typically, 2 o'clock East Coast time is, is when we're here uh, You know, to break down the fight card. Of course, we will be live on Stochastic tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern time to break this one down for you for those last minute questions you may have over there but uh pete let's get man let's get right into it let's get right into the main event as uh it pretty much it's a pick em fight uh when we got we're talking about um jerry Canier and sean strickland minus 110 on the betting odds on both sides but the DraftKings odds are a little different 8500 for sean strickland 7700 for jerry Canier, and then over on fanduel 19 dollars for sean strickland 18 dollars for jerry Canier. you know i mean as i initially started thinking about this fight pete my first thought is okay you got sean strickland coming off that knockout loss how does he bounce back and then also you know i think about sean strickland you know, volume type guy, not a guy that, you know, doesn't have that, that knockout power. I mean, he could, he could win by knockout, but it's unlikely, but Jared can on the other side, man, he's got the power. Um, just a massive man. This is a guy who fought a, a heavyweight at one point, worked his way down to 205, now down at 185 pounds. This is, it's a coin flip fight for me, Pete. I do lean Jared can in this one. And it's just because of that power and, and maybe he potentially uses a little grappling in this one. 
Yeah, so I'm, you know, starting off the the card. Uh, I think it's an interesting fight. Um, the salaries versus the odds, it makes Jared Cannonier a good value, um, just because it's a pick'em fight, and he's so cheap in comparison to Sean Strickland, seventy seven hundred versus eighty five hundred. Five rounds to work with. I think it's going to be a good kickboxing match. I, I really do. I trust Jared Cannonier's. <laughs> Um, defense a little bit more than Sean Strickland reaches for shots a little bit obviously coming off a a pretty devastating knockout to uh, Alex Pereira so we don't know how he's going to respond to that don't know how his chin is is it gone now Um, I think anybody that gets it with that left hook is going to go um, go to sleep and and clearly even Israel Adesanya you know can't really find an answer for that left hook of Pereira so um, as as far as Strickland Cannoneer I'm, I'm starting it off with an underdog I like Jared Cannonier here. Um, not mm-hmm. so much about the previous performance against Alex Pereira, but I just think that like I can trust Jared Cannonier to mm-hmm. stay wise defensively, compete on the feet. This is not a priority fight for me. I'm going to get to both sides. I really am because if you look back, Sean Strickland, pretty solid takedown defense, um, and and pretty good at you know outvoluming his opponents. Uh, picking up a split decision over Jack Hermanson is kind of like, I know Jack is well-rounded and has improved his striking, but I feel like I was expecting a little bit more decisive of a victory there. And I think if, if it's a high-volume striking affair, I'm going to be leaning in Jared Cannonier, especially when he has the power edge. Um, the, the Uriah Hall fight is the one where I kind of look out and I say, yeah, Uriah Hall is extremely dangerous almost comparable to uh, Jared Cannonier and Strickland had a great performance in that one through 428 significant strikes landed 186 you know broke the slate landed uh, he scored 144 points so with this all being said I- I'm still picking Jared Cannonier just because I-, I like him over five rounds a little bit more um, and I actually think there's some some sneaky KO upside but you can make an argument for either one I like the discount for Cannonier. I think it's much more likely that he pays off the price tag versus Sean Strickland sitting there at 8500 When you look over at the price picks props this one, I think this kind of gives you an indication of, of how a good amount of people see this fight going. The fight time prop on this one for Sean Strickland is 22.5. Significant yeah. strike prop for Strickland, 107.5. And for fantasy score, 95.5. Look, if you tell me this thing goes five rounds... I like the more 107 and a half significant strikes for Sean Strickland. You, you, you know, saying that fight goes 25 minutes, I think he will go north of that number. You know, the 22 and a half. I mean, I, I think it comes down to from, if you're attacking this from a prize picks aspect, if you're Sean Strickland, I really like in terms of I'm looking more at that significant strike and fight time prop because those to me are, you know, things if it goes five, uh, 25 minutes, he should go north of that one. Uh, but to me, I'm looking at Jerry Cannonier. If you, you look over on the the props for this one, Jerry Cannonier wins by TKO KO plus 250. I kind of like that one. I mean, I know, you know, sometimes, you know, we we talk about maybe not chasing some plus money, you know, maybe you just take the minus minus one ten. but I kind of do like that, that plus two fifty. Now, if you want to take Sean Strickland wins via decision, you're not getting a lot of value there. Plus Plus one eighty. So not, yeah. not too much value there, but I think if Sean Strickland wins this matchup via decision is likely the, the method for it. Yeah. N- not a lot of meat on the bone there. So, um, what, what I really like is just kind of, you know, splitting my exposure from a DFS aspect. Um, I do think this touches the later rounds, uh, especially if, if Jared Kinnear 
can't land a devastating shot. And, you know, we, we have looked at Jared Cannonier's career. And, you know, he just went the distance with Israel Adesanya, distance with Kelvin Gastelum, distance with Robert Whitaker. Yes, he knocked out Derek Brunson, Jack Hermanson, Anderson Silva, David Branch. But I think that, you know, this probably touches the later rounds more often than not. I don't find it to be a priority. I could see a decision win where these guys score under 90 points. On the flip side, can you imagine just an absolute banger, a war, final card of the year? These these guys go out there and they leave it on the line. And uh, it's like a Glover to share a year Prohashka where, where <laughs> both of them just have banana scores. And it's kind of, you know, I'm going to stack it in a few, but I, I don't recommend it at all. Yeah, I mean, look at some of the questions where I get in the chat. And, of course, we appreciate uh, those questions. Uh, Ty asking about our cash locks. Uh, Ty, we'll get to that towards the end of the show when we kind of uh, break down the rest of these fights. Uh, Mr. Paul says, do you think you have to have a piece of the main event for DFS? My answer would be no on that. I, I don't yeah. think it's not a priority for me this week, but I, I understand that, you know, if you want to get there, Canier, he's got the GPP upside because of knockout. Strickland, 25 minutes to work with, could land a lot of volume, but not really, he's not a takedown guy. So to me, it, it's not a priority. Yeah, it's not a priority. It's pretty easy to land on the fight, though. Um, now, especially we lost the Marquez and Deron Wynn fight. Uh, one way or another, it's pretty easy to, to fall on a fight that you expect to almost go the distance, which could you know just lead to points within your lineup. So I'm going to get to it, and Jerry Cannonier is going to be one of my most popular plays just because of the salary. But as far as like optimal fights, I don't view it as an optimal fight. Uh, Lefty Shank says, at 8,500, do you think Strickland is optimal if he wins via decision? Worried about him breaking 100 points. Um, my same exact concerns. Yeah, I mean, that that would be the, you know, the question has got to be with Strickland because everything's got to be on the feet because he's just, he's not a takedown guy. And and I would imagine if you went for a takedown, I don't think he gets canned there to the ground. So, right. I mean, you got to land a lot of volume for him to be able to, to pay off, you know, get 100 points, which is very possible. I mean, let's not act like it's not. But, you know, if, he, if there was some takedown upside, I would feel more comfortable uh, with that. Yeah, so like the Uriah Hall performance is like the outlier there in a decision where he scored 144 over five rounds through 428, landing 186. So following up against Jack Hermanson, I had pretty high expectations, right? Like I thought that he was going to go out there and you know get a, a big score one way or another. Perhaps the, the takedown upside and the grappling upside of Hermanson kind of made him a little gun-shy on the feet. That's, that's possible. Um, this is going to be a kickboxing matchup similar to the Uriah Hall fight. So uh, perhaps I'll be surprised, but um, I have modest expectations from a, a, a uh, fantasy score aspect. Appreciate the question. If you got any questions, be sure to line those up in the chat. Of course, uh, be sure to smash that thumbs up button. Do appreciate it. By the way, if you want to hear this on the podcasting platforms, let me know and uh, we'll make sure we'll get the show, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you do listen to podcasts. Pete, let's move over to the co-main event. And uh, man, it's an interesting matchup here uh, of Armin and Demir. Armin, a minus 190 betting favorite, plus 164. Demir, 8,900 for Sarukin over on DraftKings. Ismagulov, he is 7,300. And then 19 and $11 respectively over there on FanDuel. This is... I, I, I like the main event. Main event's a high-level 185-pound matchup. This is by far clearly my number two fight on the card. This is a great matchup the UFC's put together. It's a fantastic matchup. I love it. Outside of the main event and co-main event, I don't know what the heck these guys at the UFC are doing with, when it comes to fight order. 
Like, I mean, you know, some some of the fights that are on early prelims should not be there. Some they should be bumped up to the main card. I understand you want to put eyeballs on the the, the prelims and all that, but like, goodness gracious, we'll get we'll get to the fight order. But it's like, why is this like on the prelims? Um, so so as far as this co-main event, I I love it. I think it's absolutely fantastic. You have a guy who's undefeated in the UFC in Demir Ismagulov. Um, I think he's been mediocre though. From a, mm-hmm. a he clearly hasn't found a finish. Uh, split decision in his most recent against Gurum Kutataladze, and then you have four decisions over Javier Alves, Tiago Moises, Joel Alvarez, and Alex Georgis. I love the upside of Armstrong in here. I really do. I think this kid mm-hmm. is one of the best fighters, top three within the division. I'm not even kidding. So I'm going to be all about Armin Sarukian this week. This is one of the most prioritized fights on the card. Even though it's it's one of the most highly skilled fights, you have Sarukian now in a three-round atmosphere. I think we're going to see him absolutely break onto the scene here mm-hmm. as long as he can avoid the power of uh, Ismagulov. When you look over at prize picks, uh, two props for Sarukian. Significant strikes landed, 45 and a half. Fantasy score, 82 and a half. What's your thoughts on that, that significant strike prop? It's it's interesting, right? Because like I think Demir's chances are clearly better if it's a striking matchup. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting Sarukian to mix things up. He has dynamic striking as well. He could head kick. Demir and knock him out. He could hit him with a big, big hook and knock him out. We've seen Rafael Alves knock down Demir Ismagulov. I wouldn't be surprised to see him just go to the path of least resistance, and that's incorporating takedowns. Demir's very good in that aspect as well. But when you take down Islam Mahachev and you take down almost everybody you've gone against, um, I think that Armin's the clearly better wrestler here, mm-hmm. and the wrestling volume could break down Demir over time. So. I'm going to be a little underweight to the the striking output. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is nullified and it's a striking matchup uh, because of Demir's defensive skills. But I, I'm just I love the upside of of Armin, especially from a takedown ups aspect, which could uh, lower the the significant strike totals. Uh, Mr. Paul asking about our favorite GPP underdogs or DFS. We'll get to the, that throughout the show. I will tell you, Jerry Cannonier would be one of uh, the yep. ones that I would put in there. Like if, if you're creating, you know, you know, say you're you're in a an opt a lineup optimizer like a fancy cruncher, you're creating groups, and you know, say one of those groups is underdog. Jerry Cannonier to me would be one of those fighters in there. We'll get into some other underdogs that I do like as we go on throughout the show. Let's move on to our next matchup. We got Amir Albazi taking on Alejandro. Casa for Albazi. This is now his third opponent for this fight card. Initially supposed to take on Alex Perez. Perez withdraws. Then he's supposed to take on Brand Royval. Royval withdraws to an injury. Now he takes on Casa here. Albazi, a big betting favor on this one. And minus 450 betting favorite, plus 350 for Casa on the other side. 9,600 and 6,600 over on DraftKings. And then 23 and 8 over there. On FanDuel, Albazi, I mean, obviously a big favorite. I feel like he's going to be a top-of-the-ticket kind of guy. Just, you know, people are going to look at him as a, as a parlay piece here this week. Yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I'm not saying that Costa's going to win. Uh, but the price is, is pretty high from a DraftKings standpoint. Um, and it's very restrictive at 9600 If Costa had a full camp, which he doesn't, but if he did, I think that this fight is clearly mispriced. Um, he should be a lot closer than it is. The odds are just too wide. 
in my opinion, and it does not reflect the skills of Costa. Alessandro Costa is very good at jiu-jitsu, very good at striking, very good at getting people down. I do think that he can be outworked from a cardio aspect, and, and that's where a guy in um, in Amir Albazi can really shine. He's looked good in the UFC, but I don't look at Amir Albazi and think like championship caliber. I, I think that he's top 10 but not championship. I think he's just he's good. Um so I, I get the the price, but I think that's more reflective on somebody just accepting it on short notice. And a lot of these guys that the UFC that calls up have been training, have been ready. You should be training all the time so you don't have to get ready. But mm-hmm. um I, I, I gotta tell you that Alessandro Costa from a punt perspective, I did it last week and it worked out with, with Steven Coslow. In a loss, I think can give you a decent floor because it's going to be an action-packed fight. Uh, I don't expect Albazi to go out there and submit him as quickly as he did over Francisco Figueiredo, as he did over Malcolm Gordon. I think he's clearly the better fighter here, and he's probably going to score 100 points. But there's other fighters that are going to score 100 points that are a lot cheaper. So I'm getting to Alessandro Costa from complete punt. Give me 35 to 50 points in a loss. Because I think he has takedown upside, reversal upside, knockout upside um, in a normal matchup, not a short notice matchup. But at 6,600, Jason, like we're not talking 69. We're talking 6,600. Mm-hmm. Like that is ridiculous. He needs 45 points. And then I can spend up and get to five other people that can give me 100 plus points. So, um, yeah, I- I'm-, I'm okay with getting to Alessandro Costa. But let's also talk about how last week we had uh, Simon. <laughs> get dominated in round one against Steven Kozlo and then come back in rounds two and three and put it on Kozlo, eventually getting him out of there and still broke the slate. Well, he didn't break the slate, but he scored like 118. So like that's still a really damn good score. So uh, I'm going to get to both sides. But what I'm saying is that the underdog is just so, so cheap. If nobody's getting to him, I'm just going to do it from a build standpoint. I mean, kudos to my guy, Pete, the heat there and the haymaker, Three points away from that optimal lineup, which you had Stephen Coslow in that lineup. It just yeah. shows that sometimes if you can find these right under 7K options that can get some points, and, uh, you know, I mean, if he takes a DQ in the second round, you know, you, you probably took down that contest there. Uh, you know, just looking at the optimal last week in the Haymaker, uh, which did have a fighter in a loss. Jared Gordon scoring 58 points. Uh, the optimal lineup was Gordon Duplessis, Rosenstruck, Taporia, Billy Q, and TJ Brown. I was I had a good lineup going into it, and then unfortunately, uh, Jay Perrin and, and Bryce Mitchell just crapped the bed for me. Uh, but uh, it was still I still I still made money last week, so can't, it's always a good thing when you can make some money on on a Saturday night. Yeah. Oh man, it was a great week for me. Happy that you could make any money at all. Um, never mind, you know, basically having the the best lineup out there and. Uh, Gordon over Kozlo was the play. Um, but I, I just, again, Gordon got, it was a close fight, but I thought that he clearly won the fight. Mm-hmm. Um, Kozlo looked really good. And then the short notice nature of getting hit and brutalized, the, the cardio kind of abandoned him. If he accepts that DQ, then the, the whole slate's completely different. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, getting to somebody that's so cheap can just provide you with so much upside because you're allowed to, spend else and when nobody's getting to them too you know what i mean like when you have all these builds with some of these complete punt plays 
and less than 5% of the field has them. It's just like, okay, if they have points galore, then 6,600, it's just so, so damn embarrassing cheap. Um, yeah, so I'm going to do the same thing this week. Um, I'll tell you what, though. I wasn't really high on TJ. I was high on TJ Brown. I told you earlier in the week that I like TJ Brown a lot. Then I got off it and I kind of, <laughs> you know, you know, was overthinking a little bit. That is one of my few lineups I had with TJ Brown. Mm-hmm. So luckily it came through for me because I went a little bit too heavy on the unknown guy in Eric Silva. Yeah, no, no question about it. And uh, I mean, look, it's that's why we're we're developing those lines. We're trying to figure out what we can do there. By the way, uh, Albazi over on Prize Picks, significant strikes landed forty and a half. Fight time ten, takedowns two. Fancy score one twelve and a half. Any of those uh, jump out to you? I think it's going to be like a, a scramble city. So I'll probably say more on the takedowns. Um, mm-hmm. I I expect his opponent to get back to his feet. I expect Costa to initiate in some grappling as well, which could lead to more reversals, more activity, especially in a, a high work rate uh, weight class. So I'll probably take the over on the, uh, on the takedowns. Let's move on. Next up, we got a match between Alex Cesaris and Julian Orosa. Julian Orosa, a minus 170 betting favorite, plus 145 for Bruce Leroy. And uh, over on DK, 8,800 for Orosa, 7,400 for uh, Alex and then 17 and 13 respectively over on FanDuel. I talked to uh, to Julian about two weeks, about two, two, three weeks ago at this point. And uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, the two things was A, this is a matchup he has wanted for some time. Uh, B, he worked with the 18-year-old kid, Raul, last week, uh, the past couple of weeks to get ready for Alex because he knows. I mean, look, Alex is one going to want to get on his back. But the other thing I, that really stuck out to me about what Julian said is, you know, like when I think of Julian Arosa, I think of an, an action fighter, a guy that, I mean, look, he's going to take chances in fights, but he's an exciting fighter. And, you know, beginning the conversation, we were talking about, you know, the last three years for him. You know, he gets, he gets a third shot in the UFC, which really never happens. And, you know, he's won five of his last six fights. And, you know, he talked about the fact of going out there and, you know, essentially paraphrasing what he said is fighting smarter, you know, taking the opportunities when they're there, as opposed to maybe taking some risks in there. And, uh, you know, this is a matchup. I was kind of surprised in the fight booking here. Um, yeah. you know, especially after coming off that win against Dawadu, I thought Julian Rose, maybe get someone higher up here. Um, as long as this doesn't become a grappling matchup, I, I like Julian Rosa. Um, and I'll tell you, if you like the, the significant strikes uh, prop on prize picks right now, 72 half, go play it right now, because I think that thing's going just going to keep climbing and climbing as we get into tomorrow. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that it's going to be a much more, uh, volume striking matchup. If the grappling does happen. I actually think Arosa's good enough offensively to pose some some risks for Alex Caceres here. Uh, defensively, you have to worry about Caceres taking your back because his mm-hmm. rear naked choke is just really, really good. Working with Raul Rosas, I think, will prepare you for that. A um, little interesting fight. You know what I mean? Like I, I can't really plant a flag and say that I am confident in Julian Arosa. Uh, he scored 96 against Hakeem Dawadu. I'm a 111 over Steven Peterson and 101 over Charles Jordan, third round submission in that one. I can't tell you that I'm confident in Julian Arosa just because I know that it's a vol, you know, mm-hmm. he's a little volatile at times. Mm-hmm. He can run into a shot. Yes, he's, you know, starting to fight smarter and working towards his strengths, which is, which is great. But, you know, that chin has been taxed a lot. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily think it takes a power puncher to expose that. 
Alex Caceres is not a knockout guy, but he is a little deceiving with his angles and his strikes. And it's always the shots that you don't see coming that kind of plant you on your backside. So uh, I'm going to be picking Julian Arosa, but it's not really confident. Like I'll get to Alex Caceres from a complete long shot play in, in hopes that he can take the back. I mean, he does mm-hmm. have a victory over Sung Woo Choi, um, you know, and whenever he's able to mix in the grappling, that's when he's very, very dangerous. His elusive footwork and, and solid striking can pose problems for a lot of people. And if Arosa goes in there and kind of has those old tendencies, he could run into a check hook. But I, I like the pressure out of Julian Arosa in the work rate. So give me Arosa to win. Not necessarily sure if I, I love it from a DFS standpoint. Um, I can see this being one of two ways, right? Like mm-hmm. you need it. Or it's kind of just like eh, the the footwork negates some of the scoring. I mean, great comment from Mr. Plow. Rosa has been the definition of a boomer bust fighter, no question yeah. about it. I mean, he's a guy that you know throughout his time, even though he, when he was saying to me, he's like, you know, hey, you know, I'm being more tactical in, in terms of when I make these decisions, when maybe you, you throw a flying knee out there, um, you know. And also, I thought it was really interesting. He talked about you know. Uh, of being in Vegas and, you know, he goes to 10th planet to work on jujitsu. And he said, he goes, some of the best work you get in is with like these 16, 17, 18 year old kids who they've been doing jujitsu since they were like six, seven, eight years old. And he essentially said, he goes, sometimes you get better roles out of going on with that person as opposed yeah. to maybe, you know, that 30 year old who's only been doing jujitsu for five years or so. Yeah, I mean, I, I said something similar to you last week when people were kind of questioning Raul Rosas. Is he ready? Yeah, we still had questions about him for sure. But I can tell you from firsthand experience that a lot of my training at Hanzo Gracie, Rhode Island, and, you know, the the young phenoms, man, like when they've been doing, you know, these mixed martial arts or martial arts from such a young age, especially in the jiu-jitsu standpoint, um, you know, like some some of my best preparation is with those guys. That all all they do is they just do jujitsu. Um, so yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement with Julian Arosa. I'm expecting him to to get another win here. But mm-hmm. Alex Caceres, notoriously known for spoiling fights for for you know kind of constantly picking up wins when he shouldn't. Um, the Sadiq Yusef one did not happen. Sadiq was just clearly the better fighter in that. But you know, Alex Caceres is a tough out, and anybody that underestimates him can actually be surprised and, and submitted relatively easily. So uh, give me, still give me Julian Arosa in the matchup, though. Arosa's never lost via submission, which Correct. is why Alex Cesaris is plus 1,000 mm-hmm. to win via submission. Kind of, kind of a little bit of a crazy prop when you think about what Alex does best, the fact that you're getting 10 to 1 odds there. I, I generally feel like this fight's probably going to go 15 minutes. Um, that's where I'm kind of concerned about the 8,800 price tag. For, for Julian Arosa potentially cashing off here. I will say this, like the one prop over prize picks outside of, of the significant strike prop that sticks out to me is a takedown prop. One and a half for Julian Arosa. Like if I'm Arosa, I can maybe you see you, you take a fight down, maybe at the end of the round, you know, maybe kind of, you know, secure a little bit there. But like my overall thought is I'd much rather play less than one and a half than more than one and a half. It all comes down to how the fight's going, right? Like, Arosa has the ability to to mix things up. If he's struggling to find Alex Caceres, I think that could be his way of, like, entangling him is just kind of just crashing forward, getting under hooks, and, and working towards a takedown to kind of, like, win back the round, especially if, 
uh, Caceres is the matador and Oros is the bull. Um, if he's doing fine on the mm-hmm. feet, I don't think he'll go to that well because that is clearly the most dangerous path um, going up against Caceres' skills on the mat. So that might be – well, you can't do it live. I was going to say, imagine if you could do props live like that. Like that would be great. <laughs> um, yeah. But that's that's kind of something I might stay away from just because it all depends on the success yeah. of Julian Arosa in the matchup. Let's move over next up. We got a matchup that uh, I'm really interested to watch. I think this thing's going to go 15 minutes. I think it's going to be fun. And it, it would shock me if these guys just never hit the ground. That's Drew Dober and Bobby Green. Drew Dober, a minus 155 betting favorite, plus 134 Bobby Green. 8,600 for Dober on DraftKings, 7,600 for Bobby Green, then 17 and 14, respectively, for Bobby Green. Uh, and Bobby Green, $14, Drew Dober. At seventeen dollars, uh, I you know I mentioned over in Discord last night. You know, someone asking about some value plays underneath eight thousand. In terms of a cash value play, I don't mind getting to Bobby Green. I, I would, I would be relatively surprised if this fight doesn't go fifteen minutes. I like Bobby Green. I like Bobby Green a lot. I really do. Um, clearly, there's concerns anytime somebody's coming off a suspension or. A layoff or anything mm-hmm. like that but uh, Bobby Green to me is a very difficult fighter to to fight because um, his hands are low so his punches come from odd angles his movement is great the issue is he kind of fights to his opponent's level at times which makes the fights extremely close one of the best bets you could have backed throughout Bobby Green's career is the decision props the split decision props all yeah. of that because he invites his opponents into close, close, you know, fights and you loses unanimous decisions, split decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that he is the more well-rounded of the two. Uh, that may be a hot take. Maybe not. I think that Drew Dober lacks in the wrestling department and clearly in, in the grappling and, and submission skills. I think that Bobby Green can incorporate takedowns if the fight is really close. Now, does he choose to do so? I think for the most part, no. But um, Drew Dober hits really hard, and if Dober starts to connect with that left hand, you could see Bobby Green go, okay, I'm going to mix in some takedowns just to kind of solidify everything. And uh, I think you can look back at previous matchups, and MMA math does not work out. But from what I saw in the Brad Riddell-Drew Dober fight, I think that Bobby Green can replicate that, if not make it a more decisive victory. We have seen Bobby Green go to the takedown wall in the past, landed two out of three against Tiago Moises, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, absolutely talented on the mat. Like he's gone three three attempts over Clay Guida, three over Alain Patrick, uh, six over Alain Patrick, three over uh, Lando Venata. So I think that's kind of just like a you know a way to solidify a round. And I like the volume, and I just I think that Bobby Green. From an underdog standpoint, I'm going to get to him. Um, there was a point where he was looking absolutely on fire within the division. Mm-hmm. Look at the fight against Rafael Fazif. And even against Tiago Moises, he scored 52 and 57 in defeats. So I, I just like his his uh, ability to get a safe floor for us. And I do think that in a striking matchup, when he doesn't have to worry about getting taken down, you can see some some good upside from Bobby Green. 
It's more of a cash play for me than it would be a GPP play. Uh, Shine asking thoughts on over two and a half as a play. Yeah, I like that over two and a half. It's it's minus one eighty six. Um, you know that to me is uh, you know I mean look I think this thing's going fifteen minutes. I mean I just mm. you know that's where I, I would look at like if you want to look at the decision process. Bobby Green wins via decision plus two hundred plus two twenty five for True Dober. The only here's the one negative thing I have about Bobby Green. He likes to talk to the officials. And the judges to act like when he gets hit, that didn't hurt. Yeah. And it's like, Bobby, you just literally just told the judge you got hit good. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like a stamp on any time he gets hit. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Anur Hayir, thanks for the comment. He said, you know, Bobby Green won't go wrestling. I don't think it's likely that he does. I just think he has the option, whereas Drew Dober doesn't have the option. Drew Dober's not going to take down Bobby Green or have any success on the mat. Um, I just think Bobby Green can go to that to that well if he gets hurt on the feet, especially. And some kind sometimes, you know, damage forces your hand to resort to other tactics. And Drew Dober hits really, really hard, and not a lot of people are comfortable striking with him. But I, I just think from a a floor standpoint, I think Bobby Green's going to uh, kind of outstrike him and, and coast to a decision win, priced at uh, seventy six hundred. Let's move on to a middleweight matchup. You got Mahal Olashechuk taking on Cody Brunish. Cody Brunish stepped up here. Uh, I want to say he want to say he took this fight probably about two weeks ago. I want to say, of course, he you know, was supposed to fight a couple weeks ago. That fight uh, does not happen when his opponent uh, pulled out on Monday. A fight week did not get a new fight here. Olashechuk a minus two eighty betting fair plus two thirty for Cody Brundage. Olashechuk ninety four hundred over on DK sixty eight hundred for Brundage twenty two and nine over there on FanDuel. Um, yeah, I mean, look, the, the thing that, like we, we talk about Cody Brundage and he does have a wrestling background. That's how, he, that's how he came in at mixed martial arts. And, you know, I, I saw Cody put something on, on Instagram the other day of like, it was just three years ago. He took his first fight and, and you think about just where he's progressed at to his career. But you know, the one thing, even though he won the Dolce fight, yeah, that's one of those fights that I, I think that, and, and we'll talk about some other fighters later on the, on the show where, they have these fights where things don't go well in a fight, and it's kind of something you just don't forget. And I feel like this is one of those fights where you just never forget about if, if Dolce just sits there and stands up, he probably stops Cody Brunage on the feet, goes for a takedown, Cody catches him in guillotine, and, and, and it's just night. Um, you know, Ola Shechuk, I mean, look, I, to me, it's Ola Shechuk play in terms of this one, and to me, it's just more of I'm looking at saying, okay, how does Cody win this fight? Yeah, I mean... For me, I, I look at uh, Mihal Olashechuk as a massive step up in competition for Cody Brundage. Um, you know, a decision loss to Nick Maximov, the submission win over Dolce, even though it was one of the most ugly performances ever. Um, he kind of Homer Simpson his way into a nice submission win, uh, let his opponent just beat the hell out of him, and then, you know, captured the neck when Dolce made a clear fight IQ mistake. The Treshawn Gore one is, I got to give it to him. That, that's a nice victory. It really is. So um, Treshawn Gore is somewhat of a busted prospect, but with the correct coaching staff, Treshawn Gore looked good in his previous matchup. Mihal Olashechuk is very, very up and down, but whenever he's able to press forward um, and, well, I mean, he presses forward all the time, but he, he really makes fighters want out. They start looking for the exit uh, and the quick KO win over Sam Alvey, Shamil Gamsatov. Like, that's exactly what I can see happening. And when you get completely battered against um, against Dolce Lugambula, it's lined like Mihal Olszechuk should go out there and get a round one victory. 
He's one of my favorite uh, 9,000 options from a quick finish perspective. But I have to also be a little cautious because of the, you know, the deficiencies within his ground game. The best path to beat Ola Shechuk is put him on his backside. And I think that Cody Brundage has the skills to do that. Um, it's just, can he pick a submission win up? Maybe. I don't really see it. Yes, he captured a guillotine, but from top control, I don't know. Can he get some good ground and pound and route to a finish? Sure. Heavy, heavy hips. Um, but I, I do think that Ola Chuck's going to go in there and get rid of Cody Brundage, but I kind of circle this fight. I feel like it has sneaky uh, GPP upside mm-hmm. and I, I want to get to, you know, a little bit pieces of Cody Brundage and more so the Mihal Ola Chuck from a, a solid 9,000 option. You mentioned about that first round upside. Both these guys have first round upside. Cody Brunage, yeah. two of his three UFC fights have ended in the first round. Five of Mihail's nine UFC fights have ended in the first round. So there is that upside there. And I think that's when you look at the prize picks props, I think that's uh prize picks kind of feels like that's where it's going to go when you're talking about the Ola Shechuk props. 33 and a half city of his strikes landed, a six and a half fight time and then 106 and a half uh number in terms of fantasy score that fan i don't i typically don't attack that fantasy score yeah, fantasy yeah. score might be a way to attack mihail olashechuk this week or maybe you just maybe you know, probably the safer option of those three props would probably be going the less than six and a half uh, fight time minutes yeah I, I agree with that um you know i, I expect this to be chaos in round one um and chaos can lead to mistakes in early finishes clearly so I, I like the the less on the fight time for sure um of those picks that that's what i would recommend yeah uh mr Powell will get into your question uh, towards the end of the show uh and then another question about this is arm fight will be close i'm gonna sprinkle some of that fight goes to split decision i don't mind that prop bet i don't mind that prop bet yeah. and of course you, you sometimes you never know what these judges are looking at and last week oh was my a gosh i know perfect I mean, example I mean, think about it that some some poor scorecards last week really shaped the slate, and that's how it is every every week, yeah. where you just need to have a good bounce. And luckily for me, I avoided the bout, bad bounces. Would have been better if Kozlo picked up the DQ win, but it is what it is. And uh, you know, I, I was I was really happy with how last week went, and hopefully for the final card of the year, we get some good bounces. Mm-hmm. Let's move over. Next up, we got a female matchup. You got Cheyenne Villamos taking on Corey McKenna. Cheyenne minus 190 betting favorite in this one, plus 160 for McKenna. And then uh, Cheyenne, 9,000 over on DK, 7,200 for Corey. And then 18 and $12 respectively over there on FanDuel. Had, had an interesting um, interaction last night over on uh, the Stochastic Discord with, with one of the subscribers who... Um, I guess best way to say he didn't like my analysis of calling Corey McKenna a a value, um, you know, play underneath eight thousand, and it's all about the takedowns. And you know, we mentioned about Co- uh, Cody Brundage and not being able to get that Dolce uh, fight out of your mind. And for yeah. me, for Cheyenne, it goes back to that Ruiz fight where you know you have a fighter who literally has one way to take you down and constantly takes you down with a head and arm throw. And I mean, look, if this fight stays on the feet, this is Cheyenne's fight to lose. No question about it. But for Corey McKenna, there is a clear path to victory here, and it is going to, you know for the takedowns. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't hate it at all, you know, getting to 7,200 Corey McKenna. Um, just from a takedown up aspect, I think that she's uh, capable. Um, she attempted seven against Elise Reed. She landed three. She attempted four 
against Miranda Granger. Uh, Granger. She landed three. I think she's going to need more, though, if, mm-hmm. if she wants to have success against uh, Cheyenne Bellismus here. Um, the more, the better. Clearly, that that's going to be taxing when it comes to your cardio. But I, I think that attempting only four is not going to be enough because Bellismus will be wise to some of them. And whenever I have a closely lined fight, in my mind, of how I think, like, yes, this is women's MMA. On any given day, we could see buys. I mean, Velismus or McKenna walk away with the victory. I start to really take into account the camps. And I think that I'm I'm going to be siding with Velismus here. I, I don't hate the Corey McKenna underdog call. I'm going to get to her a little bit from a, a takedown aspect and a submission aspect if she gets in advantageous position. Unlike other fighters on the card, I think that she has a decent chance to finish. But I think I, I'm buying into Cheyenne Velismus from a, a striking aspect, um, a growth aspect. Not in love with the price tag at 9000 mm-hmm. though. I'm really not in love with the price tag. I think uh, this is going to go 15 minutes, um, which makes McKenna much more appealing than Velismus. But uh, I'm going to be siding with Velismus here at 9000 yeah, I mean, when I look over those price picks props, the the two takedowns for Corey McKenna does stick out to me. Um, if I'm playing a side, I'm playing more in terms of because she does have, you know, she's added reach disadvantage. I want to say it's five inches uh, reach disadvantage. In this one, I mean, look, for, for Cheyenne, she's going to want to keep this fight range. I mean, to me, the problem, with, and you mentioned about that price tag, is, okay, at 9,000, I, I need I need 110 points. Mm-hmm what is the path if she doesn't get some takedowns or knockdowns? Yeah, I think the path for Cheyenne Bellismus is clearly to test that chin of Corey McKenna. I think McKenna has been pretty open throughout her career of how she struggled mm-hmm. with concussions, yeah. um, which is not something that you want to hear when you're going to back somebody. But that can go one of two ways. Somebody's uh, cognizant that they have concussion issues and – they know they, they need to minimize damage. That should result in more grappling, which makes Corey McKenna as an underdog play make a ton of sense. On the flip side, it makes Cheyenne Velismus a little interesting because she has shown pretty good accuracy, pretty good volume, uh, pretty good striking skills. And if McKenna's unable to to get the takedown, I do think a fighter in Velismus can test that chin. Um, so, I mean, we need a knockout or, or several knockdowns en route to a high-volume affair. Like knockdowns are great too. We don't need early finishes. She's already picked up one uh, one knockdown, and that was against uh, Gloria De Paula, which resulted clearly in a finish. So uh, she scored 135 in that situation. But talk about a high volume striking affair with a couple knockdowns. You know, you, you could have a fighter still at 9,000 end up making it into the optimal lineup. So I, I'm making a few lineups to account for that. Uh, Mr. Plowman, I appreciate the comments there. Uh, what I'll do is, since you, you say you primarily have listened to us over at Apple Podcasts, I'll get this show up on Apple Podcasts here this afternoon. So if you can't catch all the show here on YouTube, we'll have it up on Apple Podcasts. We'll have it on Spotify. Uh, be sure to just uh, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Jason underscore Floyd. Pete is at at Pete the Heat MMA. We'll tweet out those links when those shows when the show is up on the podcasting platform. Of course, you can check it out in video form right here on YouTube as well. Kevin, uh, he says uh, he showed up late to the party. Tell me we we're on some of the same dogs. By the way, we haven't got to uh, Brian Battle, Manchate, 
uh, Saeed Yokub. We have talked a little about Bobby Green. That is an underdog that uh, is intriguing for me. It's more of a cash game play in terms of, of a DraftKings aspect. But if you're looking to, to just bet the fights, I don't mind that Bobby Green call. Let's move over next up. We got Jake Matthews taking on Matthew, Matthew Schmelzberger. Jake Matthews, nearly a 3-1 to one betting favorite in this one, minus 280, plus 230 for Schmelzberger, 9200 for Jake on DraftKings, 7000 for Matthew, and then 21 and $10, respectively. You know, Pete, when I, I saw this, my first thought was the, the betting odd kind of did jump out to me a little bit, but then as you kind of take a deeper dive and I say, okay, who's Matthew Schmelzberger's best win against? Yeah, I mean... For me, it's AJ Fletcher. Even though AJ Fletcher hasn't done a damn thing in the UFC, I just mm-hmm. I believe that AJ Fletcher has you know excellent skills. But I think this is another massive step up of competition. Like you have Jake Matthews, who has you know grown up in the UFC, knocked out Andre Fialo, and completely changed my mind of him. Like he, he looked fantastic in that bout. He looked like a fighter who uh, developed his striking and clearly improved. In addition, he's always been a pretty dominant grappler, um, a guy that can get top position, and when he gets top position, he you know wreaks havoc on his opponents. Um, yeah, Anthony Rocco Martin submitted him. Sean Brady submitted him. Like, but outside of that, like, yeah, okay, James Vick submitted him as well. But I just I think that we're seeing Jake Matthews look better than ever. So I'm pretty big on Jake Matthews. I like him here to win the bout. Win the bout. At 9,200, we need takedowns or we need a finish. Mm-hmm. And Semmelsberger has you know, been pretty durable um, in the A.J. Fletcher fight. That was why I liked A.J. Fletcher's landing takedowns. Uh, he just kind of got outscrambled and, and wasn't up to par in the cardio department. So I think that Jake Matthews will be. I think Jake Matthews will walk away with the victory here. But um, Semmelsberger is one of the guys that kind of surprised me inside the UFC. Like, yeah, it's against a low-level opposition for the most part, but – He's look good. I mean, when you knock people out the way he knocks people out, and then you score fifty something points against Alex Morono, that's that's a really good fight. Um, the AJ Fletcher one where he squeaks out a decision and scores sixty two, I think that's that that's going to show you that he can struggle from bottom position when he gets controlled on the mat. The I, I talked about that. I'll create a takedown city group over a fancy cruncher. Jake Matthews is one of those guys that's going is going in that group because yeah, I mean. Yeah, when you see A.J. Fletcher get the four takedowns the way he did, I'm sitting there going, if you're Jake Matthews and you're his corner, that's got to be the clear mindset in this matchup. It has to be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great to you know incorporate it. He's attempted 11 in the past, 7 against uh, Emil Meek. So, like, priced at 9,200, we need a lot of control time, a lot of takedowns um, en route to a finish or just a dominant victory. But... uh yeah, I like Jake Matthews to win the bout. I just think he's going to be the he's going to be the vet in this situation when he's usually the young guy, and uh, you know that experience is going to be on full display. Let's move over to Pete's favorite fight of the weekend. What's well, his favorite oh, fight wow. every weekend? Because it's the A two hundred eight thousand fight over on DraftKings. You got Syed Nurmaga made off plus one hundred eighty two hundred and fifteen dollars on FanDuel. Taking on Syed Yokub Kakarmanov, who is minus one twenty eight thousand on DK fifteen dollars over there on FanDuel. And Syed Yokub is one of the guys that he he's clearly going in the takedown city uh, group on Vansy Gruncher because that is the clear path. I look people will see the last name they're not related they're, they just have the same last name they're not related 
there is a clear path for Sayoku here. And to me, it's just a matter of whether he's able to incorporate or not. If you tell me he can, he can go that takedown, we're, we saw him get 10 takedowns in his last matchup. If he can replicate that, oh man, yeah. This is the guy that I want to get to this week. Yeah, I love this fight. One of the most compelling on the entire card. Um, and clearly one of the closest fights lined. Uh, 8,200 for Namagomedov, 8,000 for Kakaromanov. Um, I think that Saeed Nurmagomedov is dynamic enough to land a knockout shot. And we have seen uh, Saeed Yokob Kakramanov get hit with a flying knee on the regional scene um, and, and get knocked out. But not too many people can you know, brush off a flying knee to the chin. So I will always sprinkle in both sides of the 8,200-8,000. But... There was a little bit, it was a little worrisome in the most recent bout against uh, Douglas Silva de Andrade. I thought Nurmagomedov was going to go out there and really dominate. And Douglas Silva de Andrade is a guy that I've loved from a, an underdog standpoint. Dangerous striker, good jiu-jitsu, older guy, but super, super live to pull off upsets. And coming off that Cody Stamen round one victory, scoring 117, and then following before that, against the Mark Striegel round one KO, 122. I liked what I saw from the Magomedov, and I'm like, yep, yeah, uh, he's going to get a finish over Douglas Silva de Andrade. He actually got hit with a spinning back fist. He actually got taken down also in that bout, and it showed a little bit, I don't know, uh, some deficiencies within his game. He only scored 59 fantasy points in that matchup. Granted, styles make fights, but... Within this matchup, I like Saeed Yokob Kakramanov to be the better fighter over 15 minutes. If it goes 15 minutes, I think the work rate, the pressure, um, just the volume of everything from strikes to takedowns attempted to control time against the cage, I think everything is going to be in Saeed Yokob's favor. Um, but on the outside, if this is a pretty fight from range, Saeed Nurmagomedov is dynamic enough and skilled enough to have the variety of attacks to threaten and knock out Saeed Yokob Kakramanov with something he doesn't see coming. So for me, Kakramanov, 8,000. Not a, I actually will say, probably going to be one of my most exposed fighters on the slate just because of the upside, the salary, um, and it's a close fight. And I, I just like his his skills in every single department, um, especially when he's the better minute winner of the, of the two. Yeah, it's uh, to me, Saeed Yokub is a guy that I'm going to be targeting, and it's all because of that takedown. We talk about it on DraftKings all the time. You know, we're, we're looking for guys that can get the fight to the ground, keep it on the ground, rack up the control time, and, and you hope that their opponent can get back to the feet just so they can take him right back to the ground. So Saeed Yokub will be uh, kind of a you know a core play for me, uh, and particularly in cash tomorrow uh, here for UFC Vegas 6-6. So let's move over. Next up, we got Hoffa Garcia taking on Mashate. Mashate did miss weight by two and a half pounds. It was just kind of search around. Now it looks like uh, the fight is going to proceed as a, a catchweight matchup here. Uh, Mahashate plus 120, Garcia minus 140, 8,400 for Garcia over on DraftKings, 7,800 for Mahashate, and then 16 and 14 respectively over there on FanDuel. Um, you know, I mean, look, it's when, when a fighter misses weight, it's kind of a case-by-case -case basis here. Um, you know, before the missing weight here, my kind of thought was with Hoffa Garcia, was his, him to utilize grappling? Yeah, I think he needs to. Um, I don't think that Hoffa Garcia is a good striker. I think that he's uh, mediocre at best. Um, his best work is done when he's able to chain takedowns together, and he can drag anybody to the mat constantly. And if they get back up, he can do it again. So his mat returnability is some of the best on the entire slate. 
my issue is the the knockout uh, potential that his opponent Mahashate has. He's a big guy for the division. I think this could be a strategic move. Obviously, I don't know the ins and outs of their camp, but um, a a striker that wants to keep it on the feet, weighing in a little bit heavier, could actually help to keep it on the feet against Hafa Garcia. If he's nursing an injury, that's not good. Um, I think I can't I can't trust either one of these fighters. I view this fight as like a GPP priority. Um, I think a lot of people are going to agree one way or another mm-hmm. that you need one of these guys. Either Mahashate plants a beautiful right cross on uh, Hafa Garcia's chin and knocks him out, something that hasn't been done in the UFC thus far, despite going up against Nazrat Hakparas, Kritz Gritzmacher, Natan Levy, Jesse Ronson, and Drakkar Close. Um, I'm going to be picking Hafa Garcia. I just, I just trust him more than the mm-hmm. unknown Mahashate. Yeah, Mahashate could knock out Hafa Garcia, um, but up until this point, I've seen you know Hafa in there with some talented fighters, and you tell me he attempts or has the ability to attempt 11 or 12 takedowns as he has done against Drakkar Close, Natan Levy, and Chris Gritzmarker. It's going to be a little difficult for Mahashate to, to defend all of them. So I think we, we could see uh, Hafa Garcia break this late. But one way or another, I'm going to be getting exposure to this one because mm-hmm. I just have a gut feeling that this is going to be a part of the optimal lineup. Next up, we got a matchup between Battle and not, not a minus 150 betting favorite plus 125 for Battle and then 8,300 for Hanat over on DK, 7,900 for Brian and then 16 and 14. Respectfully, here, not is another guy that I look at as potential takedown city candidate. Yeah, I mean, another one, right? Like the Hafa Garcia Mahashat they fight, I don't trust. I don't really trust the Hanat uh, Fakhradinov or Brian Battle fight. We have Brian Battle stepping up on short notice. Mm-hmm talented in all areas of the fight um probably the better striker of the two if i have to tell mm-hmm. you uh, hanat fakradinov super wild super reckless very sloppy fighter um his best work is done when he's able to take his opponents down work in top control you know establish a position ground and pound i think we could see him pick up a win here at 8300 my issue is if battles able to keep it on the feet expose those those uh deficiencies within his striking game i think the sloppiness could actually result in hanat getting finished one of these days i just don't know if brian battles the guy i think brian battles very good tested on the ultimate fighter i'm not sure how you feel about that but i will say gilbert urbina i don't really hold that that mm-hmm. win with a lot of weight treshawn gore i don't either and the quick finish over takashi sato so it's tough to trust either one of these guys um, from an underdog standpoint, I think Brian Battle is one of the best on the slate. A huge guy. Hits really hard for the welterweight division. Um, and he's a gamer. Probably has the better cardio of the two. So with all that being said, like you'd think I'd be picking Brian Battle here. But I just think that we're, you know, Fakradinov gets in top position and just kind of wins minutes. So I'm going to be picking Fakradinov at 8,300. But clearly circling this fight again. And uh, other fights I'm planting my flag, like Armin Saruki, and I'm planting the flag on that one. Not so much with this matchup. It's more of a mix and match for me. Next up, we got a matchup between David Dvorak and Manel Kopp. Kopp minus 260 plus 210 for Dvorak. 9,100 for uh, Kopp over on DK. 7,100 for Dvorak. And then 20 and 11 over there on FanDuel. Manel Kopp, I mean, I, I'm, I've been super high on this guy since he came into yeah. the UFC uh, from Ryzen. Um, you know, the only thing that concerns me from a from a, a 
a DFS perspective on this matchup is low volume from each guy. Yeah, I agree. Um, Manel Cops, a guy I'm planting my flag on, on getting a victory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that within the flyweight division, it comes down to activity. And sometimes Manel Cops okay with letting his opponents dictate the pace uh, of the fight, which could turn out to, to bite him in the backside eventually. I mean, it kind of did already against Alexandre Pantoja, who he debuted against. Isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> and then uh, Mataj Nikolaou. Um, Mitaj Nikolaou is very, very good. So, you know, kind of seeing how both of these fighters fought him, you saw David Dvorak get dropped and, and hurt against Mitaj Nikolaou, who just picked up a beautiful, a beautiful win. Um, so I think personally, Manel Kopp possesses the power, the striking skills, the defensive wrestling to keep this on the feet and, and, you know, win out on exchanges against David Dvorak. I think Dvorak's probably going to throw more. Um, he threw 110 at uh, Matthias Nicolau, landed only 39. Um, he threw 146 at Jordan Espinoza, landed only 68. So, like, I, I don't really think that he's going to be able to find Manel Kopp, uh, whereas Manel Kopp, whenever he chooses to throw the combinations, I think he can crack, hurt, drop David Dvorak en route to a decisive victory. But similar to women's MMA, Jason, like flyweight MMA, yeah, on any given day, work rate wins mm-hmm. out. So uh, we could see a Dvorak upset, but I'm planting my flag on Manel Cop. I think he's going to walk away with a victory, but not one of my favorite salaries at 9100 Yeah, I'm, w- I'm with you there. I do like Manel Cop there. I just – the price point does scare me from a DFS perspective. Uh, then our opening mm-hmm. matchup of the night, you got uh, Journey Newsome, a plus 250 betting underdog here, taking on Sergey at minus 310, 9300 for Sergey, 6900 for Journey. 22 and nine there over on FanDuel. Um, I was actually just talking to Journey a couple weeks ago, but unfortunately that one just didn't come together. Uh, Sergey here, I mean, look, there's a reason he's a 3 1 betting favorite. I, I you know, I, I like him in the spot. I just, once again, the price point, I just go, oh, God, does he pay off the price point? Yeah, I mean, like, this whole card is kind of riddled with people you want to have trust in, but they've kind of ruined that trust in the past. And, uh, volatility kind of surrounds a lot of these matchups that's where you know me believing in skill set in like armin sarukian guy that i can just like confidently say i i I have some faith with him um other fighters on this card if they do the correct things yes they could have massive scores i think that sergey morozov has fought better competition than journey newson despite journey newson having skills in every department newson hits really hard for the division has really solid Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, can incorporate good wrestling. I have this gut feeling he gets ragdolled, though, against mm-hmm. his opponent in Sergey Morozov. Um, you know, when you have Mor- Morozov debut against Umar Namagomedov, you saw the glimpses of potential in that matchup, uh, but he followed it up against Khalid Taha when he went 6 of 16 in the takedown department, scored only 105 despite landing six takedowns. But um, I, I think this could be a situation where at 9,300, his best path to victory is testing the chin of Journey Newsom, but mm-hmm. also kind of just outworking him. And I think the, the work rate of Morozov is going to win out here as long as he can avoid the big shots because he does not mm-hmm. seem to be the most durable fighter out there. But I, I'm pretty confident that Morozov's going to walk away with the victory at 9,300. Going to sprinkle in some Journey Newsom 6,900 you know, plays, but uh, for the most part, I'm expecting a Morozov uh, decisive victory. 
Yeah, I mean, I kind of I do like the over two takedown prop uh, that Price Picks has has on Sergey there. Of course, you got any questions? Line those up in chat right now. We're going to get to those here in a moment. Let's get our straight up fight picks. These are non DFS related main events. I will go Jared Cannonier. I'm going Cannonier. Uh, co-main event. Give me the uh, favorite in Sarukian. Sarukian. Uh, I will take Albazi over Costa. Albazi. Uh, gotta go with my guy Juicy J. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Rosa. Don't trust him though. This is a tough one for me between Drew Dower and Bobby Green. It's uh, it's a coin flip fight for me. Oh man, I, w- I really want I, I really want to say Bobby Green. I really I, I'll go Bobby Green, but man. I, I I think the fight's really close. Um, yeah. hate hate to go against my guy Cody Brunch, but I got to Mahal Olashechuk. Yeah, Olashechuk for me too. So. This next one's a tough one for me because it it all depends on how it plays out. I think the smart money is to go with Cheyenne, but I'm concerned that she just gets take down and, and McKenna grinds her way to a 15 minute decision. Yeah. Good. I mean, legitimate concerns. I'm still going to go with Velismas here. Um, I like Jake Matthews. Uh, I think he is. utilizes grappling gets win or Smellsberger. Yeah. Jake Matthews. Uh, Romanoff, I like him against uh, Nurmagomedov. Tough fight, but I'm going Kakramanov. You brought up great points about why I could be concerned about Hoffa Garcia with the striking, but I'm still going to go Garcia. Yeah, same. I'm going to go Garcia. I just, if Mahashate goes out there and knocks out Hoffa Garcia, now I can believe. It's just like very difficult to find fight yeah. tape on, on Mahashate to begin with. Um, and Hoffa has been in there despite my concerns. I'm still going to go Hoffa. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go Hanat just because of the takedown upside over Brian. Yeah, Hanat Fakradino for me too. Uh, I'll go Manel Cop. Manel Cop. And I will go Sergey. Sergey Morozov. Yeah, I mean, from like a, a betting perspective, something yeah. I think you have to be very careful for. Um, more about finding the correct punt play this week than it is like quality underdogs outside of the main event. Get to uh, some of these questions that came in a little earlier from Ty. First off, he goes, Who are the cash locks? We all know you love that L word. Cash locks this week for me. It's hard, man. I mean, there's like there, there's fighters on this card that I love the upside or I love kind of what may be a quote unquote floor for them. I yep. mean, like, I, you know, part of this also comes down to a roster construction situation. Like I look at old Shayshuk. I mean, you could you could say that fight is kind of a. a a fight you might need to prioritize because of the volatility. Um, yeah. You know, if I was going to say if, if I'm where I'm starting building lineups, if I'm looking at that top end, it it, it might be. Oh, Shayshuk maybe the the one I would start with if I'm if I'm yeah. trying to start a lineup with a nine thousand fighter. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, for me, number one cash play is Jared Cannonier. Uh, five round mm-hmm. aspect. Um, I think it's a close fight. I think that he can. He's proven to be durable, and he's proven to you know contend with some of the best already. Don't have many question marks surrounding him, and I have still some questions about Sean Strickland. So if this goes twenty five minutes, even in a loss, I, I think that you're getting some points rather than no points in a volatile matchup in other you know with other fights. 
favorite GPP underdogs for DFS. So Jerry Cannon here, I mean, 7,700. Yep. Uh, he, he's one that sticks out to me. Um, Bobby Green's more of a cash play for me. Um, Corey McKenna, takedown upside, but obviously she's got to be able to utilize that takedown. Um, you know, I do like uh, Sayu Yukub at uh, 8,000. I mean, not under, he's not, you know, he's not technically an underdog in that one. Um, you know, those are kind of the underdogs that stick out to me the most. Yeah, I mean, uh, Said Yoko Kakramanov makes a ton of sense from the salary. Um, Mahashate seems to be everybody's darling. I mean, I'm going to get to him, but as far as having faith, I'd much, r- much rather have faith in Bobby Green to win a close decision than, you know, possibly have a single digit performer. So, uh, Bobby Green, like, I know people don't want to play him in, in GPPs. Certain matchups, I think, can bring mm-hmm. out the best of him. I'm going to do it. I'm going to play him in GPPs. I really am because I, I think that if he does the correct thing, he could have a very surprising score over 90 points. And maybe he's that shocking takedown guy. Maybe, you know, it's like Telling a minute and a half, two minutes left in a round, and he just sees the opportunity, and he says, you know what? Because if you're Drew Dober, you got to imagine your mindset has got to be he's going to try to take this one to the ground. So maybe, maybe that's something to kind of think about there. I mean, not necessarily um, the guy that you think about takedowns. Uh, who do you think will be the most popular 9,000 fighter on DraftKings? Well, the most popular 9,000 option on DraftKings is going to be Amir Al-Bazi. Um, he, he just is. I know that the, the salary is crazy, but the second people hear that he's fight, fighting somebody on short notice – they're just going to plug him in, especially when he's been so dominant. So I'm pretty sure that he's going to be the most popular. Yeah. Second would be uh, Mihal Olashechuk, and I'd be pretty surprised if I was wrong on that. If I was going to rank the 9,000 options, so you've got Albazi, Olashechuk, Sergey, Jake, Manel, and Cheyenne. I would rank them. I know who my top two are. I'm just not sure who I put. Over one. Oh, Shashuk, because of first round upside, maybe I give him a slight edge over Jake Matthews. So they would be my one, two. And then the rest of them, I'd probably go Albazi three, Sergey four, Cop five, Cheyenne six. Okay, so for me, my first two is uh, Ola Shachuk and Morozov. It's kind of like a 1A, 1B. My third would be Albazi. My fourth would be Jake Matthews. Just because I think that, you know, we have seen patient Jake Matthews in the past to sit there and just trade and, you know, not rush it. He's composed. And composed fighters sometimes don't, you know, break the slate. Five would be Manel Cobb and six would be Cheyenne, uh, Cheyenne, uh, Cheyenne Villismas. Yeah. Uh, does Brunish deserve a sprinkle in a 20 match just in case he gets the takedowns? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I do it. I would not say like, I think if, you know, if you're, you know, using an optimizer to build those lines, if you start getting 30% or more of Brunage, that's when I think you got to kind of, um, yeah, that's concern. I would probably say I wouldn't, I mean, and look, I have not done any limes yet. Um, I actually need a reserve side, I need a reserve contest here today. Um, but, uh, I would, I would think that I'll probably be in the 20 to 25% range on Cody. And probably yeah. closer to 20 than 25. I think that I'll be probably in the 20%. Um, but I kind of evenly distribute some of my long shots. Um, mm-hmm. I 
I don't know, man. I I much rather just take some shots on some cheaper people. Like Brundage is cheap, but mm-hmm. so is like Alessandro Costa. Like I don't think we've seen too many fighters at sixty six hundred. Sixty six hundred is cheap, man. Like that is so cheap. I think the thing you th- and you brought up the point of you know maybe potentially finding a losing fighter. Like you know, if you look at let's just say from seventy three hundred and below, Ismagulov is seventy three hundred. Could go fifteen minutes. You know, could yeah, could have not. a Casa six thousand. Um, Brundage sixty eight. The reason I would what scares you about Brundage is high volatility. You know, that's just not a fight I expect to go fifteen minutes. McKenna seventy two hundred. I've talked about the takedown upside there. Schmelzberger seven thousand. Man, he's got to stop the takedowns. Um, I just don't know if he can do that. Um, then you got uh, Dvorak and, and Journey Newsom. Yeah. So for me. When I'm punting, sometimes you're not punting for finishers, right? Well, mm-hmm. yes and no. Sometimes I'm searching for finishers, quick finishers. The quick finishers under 7,300 that I would be looking at would be Cody Brundage and Semmelsberger. Now, I think the likelihood of them finding a finish is pretty slim. So my next thought process is, okay, 7,300 and below, who are the best fighters within that range to perform well in the decision? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like where I, I like to think and put my mind and like Alessandro Costa, so cheap, getting there. Um, Cody Brundage, wrestling, getting there. Um, even though I don't think that goes the distance. Uh, Dvorak and McKenna. So like the three I would choose for a decision would be like McKenna, Dvorak, and Costa. Like mm-hmm. I, I think that they have pretty high floors yeah. for what their salaries represent. Next up says, who are the three with the highest DFS ceilings and which fighters who are favorites are you going to be lightest on in GPPs? All right. So uh, as I mentioned, I haven't done any lines, but here's who I would imagine that I will be light on. Um, Cheyenne, just because of, I, I just think that if she wins, she's six on the outside and, and you know she's going to need knockdowns, um, but I, I'll still get to her. Um, Manel Cop, I think I'll be a little lower under the field on just because of um the low volume is what is what concerns me about Manel Cop. Um, in terms of highest ceilings, can ear potentially because of the, the knockout upside, but then I I start looking at uh, okay Olashechuk first round upside, um. Look at Sayi Yokub. I look at Hanat, and and those are and, and Sergey, and those are because of the takedown upsides. Yeah. So who I'm going to be light on? It's going to be Cheyenne Velismus and uh, Amir Albazi, um, and not because I don't think Amir wins. I, I think that he wins. It's just the price is restrictive, and you know he could score 120 or more, but um, I don't know. I I think that he's going to score lower 100s. I'm going to get to him. But it seems like the masses are going to be flocking to that, and I kind of mm-hmm. just want to pivot elsewhere. Cheyenne Velismus is just a fight that I, I'm not really prioritizing. Three fighters that I think have massive ceilings. Uh, it's going to be Olashechuk, Morozov, and Sarukian. Three fighters that I really like as far as like an upside standpoint. They all have skills to really just uh, you know get fantasy points for us. Uh, Randy asking Bobby Green cash play. Yeah, oh, yeah I'm, I'm all about Bobby Green as a cash play. All about yeah. Bobby Green, anything play. I don't think that Drew Dober knocks him out. 
he could be one of the first mm-hmm. guys ever, if not the first guy ever, but I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I want to say Dustin Poirier is the last one to knock out Bobby Green. Oh, yes. Good one. Yep. But and I, I was, like, And I, I want to say before that, it was... Oh, what was the last one before? It, Dustin's it's been, a stud, though. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the Dustin one... Uh, Ally, or excuse me, Bobby Green got the TKO win against Ally Quinta. Um, that was his first TKO win since 2013 against James Krause. Um, in terms of uh, Bobby Green's been knocked out three times in his career. Um, Islam Mahachev, Dustin Poirier, and Tim Means. The Tim Means, you got to go back to 2010 in King of the Cage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even view that the Mahachev one as a knockout. I mean, yeah, it's grounded. It was, yeah. it was just like a merciful stoppage. That's all it really was. But you can go back and say that on a lot of people. But I don't know. He just seems like a guy that's going to be somebody I'm going to have you know more exposure to than what the what the people are doing. Yeah, I mean, and of course, you know, we'll be live on Stochastic tomorrow. By by that point, I'll have done all my lineups, so I'll know exactly what my exposures are, are going to be. I mean, there's just, you know, there, there'll just be there'll be some fights I'm going to say, eh, I just kind of want a little less on those fights than, than some of the other fights. Of course, we appreciate everyone uh, tuning in here. Of course, uh, subscribe to the channel. We do appreciate that. Uh, as I mentioned, I will get the show up on the podcasting platforms. We'll tweet out the links there. Uh, Kevin says, what are the fights you all think? Uh, should happen next year. That would be Blockbuster Chimaya versus question mark. Who else? Um, I mean, look, Blockbuster fight, Conor McGregor against anybody will, will be a, a big fight. Um, Chimaev, um man, there's a lot of fights. I think it could be quote-unquote Blockbuster fights for Chimaev. I just want Chimaev to fight. I don't care who. Just get him in there. Just get him in there. I think the Colby Covington one makes a ton of sense. I don't think it happens. Um I think they were going to see like a Shamayev, Derek Brunson. I don't know. I don't know why that kind of sticks out to something weird like that. I mean, Jones versus Ngannou potentially in March um, could yeah, be a, another faith. blockbuster fight. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Randy, I appreciate that we can help your workday go a little bit faster for you, man. Do do appreciate you tuning in. I'm trying to think of other big fights that would stick out to me. Um, Brent Moreno and Figueredo are going to fight for the 12,000th time. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm interested to see the Mahachev and Volkanovsky fight. Yeah, that that's... I, I don't know how much that's going to really draw people, though. Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm kind of looking at the rankings just to see what fights I think that, that would be huge draws. Um... If Sean O'Malley fights for the title next, uh, it's going to be a draw because of Sean O'Malley. So who um, something, who knows? He needs to go away. He's so annoying. But um, if Nunez versus Pena, the trilogy matchup happens, I think that's that's another one. I think the most compelling is what happens with Shevchenko. Who does she defend against next? What are the next couple things? You know what I mean? Like I, I love Shevchenko a lot and. You know, every fighter's nipping at her heels, and I can't wait to watch her perform next year. What's your guys' bold prediction for next year? Like someone we don't see coming, becoming champion or something. Those are always tough ones for me. Um, Shamayev. I, I, this, my, my co-host Daniel brought this up the other day, and it was like, 
Who is the UFC light heavyweight champion 12 months from now? Yeah, I know. I really like Yuri Prohoshka, but man, who knows what the heck's going on with his injury? So. Yeah, he's, he's had ma- you know major uh, shoulder injury. I, I mean, I said my my, I would vote Ankalaev. To me, I think that's it. May, maybe that's the safe route to go. By the way, he might not. He might not find the UFC anymore. Who knows? Dude, I talked about I talked about this on Wednesday night. What a crazy like hour or so for Ankalaev on Saturday night. Horrible. You, 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 you know, you walk into the cage, you know what, 25 minutes are over, you feel confident that you're the new UFC lightweight champion, light heavyweight champion, scores red, you're not the light heavyweight champion, Damn, then you crazy. learn you're not even getting the next title shot, and who knows, his next fight may not be even a title shot, like, no. like you talk about just, and then kudos to Anthony Smith on the desk to yeah. literally learn three seconds before they announce it, and to be very professional up there, man. That was, that was crazy. I, yeah, I, that, I mean, yeah. what a, that, that division is, is a disaster right now. It really is like, yuck. yeah, I mean, so, you know, um, you know, someone mentioned Jamal Hill, maybe ah. get past Glover first. He does that. And then, you know, then we'll see, but yeah, don't go, don't go to the ground. Jamal, do not go mm-hmm. to the ground. No, sir. <laughs> You know, and and Jamal, just hat tip here. If you happen to win, have some good security around you in Rio. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have some good security around you in Rio. So yeah, I just got to see my boy Shamaya fight. I don't really care. Um, and Kevin, I I like Volkanovski's chances a lot more than than the public. I truthfully do. So I can't wait to see it. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting matchup, and I, I'll tell you a under the radar banger, banger to start the year, February fourth, Bellator, your guy Brand Ward and Sabah Hamasi. That is, yeah, all caps banger. Yeah. If you don't like, if you have not watched either one of those two guys, you know that that's got potential banger written all over between those two. Absolutely, guys. Absolutely, man. <laughs> you know. I I know how you sign on that one. I know I know how you sign on that one, but uh, that is potential. Uh, got uh, that's a banger alert uh, in terms of that one. But uh, Pete, anything else you want to mention before we got here? No, I just want to say thanks for the support, guys. If you wouldn't mind subscribing to the channel, we're here every UFC fight week. In addition to that, we'll be putting out content for PFL, Bellator, Dana White Contender Series, all that stuff. So uh, we really appreciate the support. You guys are great. Hit the like button for us. And uh, next, we will be on Stochastic for Live Before Lock on Saturdays, leading up to each UFC card. So uh, thanks again, guys. Yeah, you can catch us over there tomorrow at 3 o'clock Eastern time. We'll be live for one hour, breaking down this fight card, answering any questions that you do have. Of course, uh, we'll get this show up on the podcast channels. If you want to take advantage of that, just search Fight HQ. I know the podcast channel is already there, so we'll put that over there. So appreciate everyone tuning in for the Fight HQ preview for UFC Vegas number 66.